the people of God rejoiced and said, Amen. It sure is good to see you all today, and I love to invite you to two passages of Scripture this morning as we begin our lesson. The first one is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and the second is in Mark 10, verses 42 through 45. The first one will make you think that it should be Christmas time, as Philip has already shared earlier today. But should not Christmas be on our hearts all the time? Listen to the birth narrative from Matthew's Gospel. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And in Mark's gospel, later on in the ministry of Jesus, as he's speaking to his disciples, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just this past week, my daughter Isabella, who will be 12 and a half next month, said, Daddy, you have lots of names. Bob, Bobby, because that's what my family calls me. Robert, that's what my mom called me when I was in big trouble. Robert Emmett Lee IV, you get in here right now. Yes, ma'am. And Isabel said, um, you're also dad and daddy. Lots of names. Maybe she's listening to some of my sermons. Yeah, she and mom are helping with the children this morning. I told, I, I told her I was going to talk today. And then I thought of some more names as I was preparing for this morning's lesson. Uncle Bobby. Pastor Bob, some of you like the more formal Dr. Lee, some 
call me pastor, some reverend. One of my former church members always called me preacher. Preacher. Melanie calls me sweetheart, sweetie, honey, and I love that. If I don't do what I'm supposed to do around the house, you can ask her the other names, perhaps. Kind of like my mom has called me. Isabella sometimes calls me daddy-o. Kids, do you ever call your dad daddy-o? I think that's pretty cool. And sometimes she says, you're the best dad ever. And that's when I bought the phone. When it's time to put the phone away at night, it's dad. Lots of names. One person, lots of different names. When I was in high school working at Kroger in upstate South Carolina, when they hired me, they typed on my name tag, Bobby Lee. And so they would call me Bobby Lee. They thought that was my first name. And that's pretty common for that part of South Carolina. Bobby Lee, come to the front. I'd be back stocking and they needed me at the register. Bobby Lee, come to the front. Sometimes people would say, what's your last name? And I would say, Lee. They would say, Bobby Lee Lee? <laughs> no. Bob, and finally, you just kind of have to go with it sometimes, you know. You've heard Amanda talk about this in her children's messages over the course of our Dear God series where we're studying the different names of God. One God, several names we have studied. Over a hundred different names in the Bible for God. One God known as different names that help us to see the different ways that God works in this world and in our lives. We've looked at five. El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. Jehovah Rophe, meaning the Lord who heals or the God who heals. Jehovah Roe, God is our shepherd, or God my shepherd. And then we've looked in the New Testament, God as our friend. And then today in the New Testament, God as Savior and Redeemer. And those are big words, especially for those of you who are students. And uh, I hope that today's message will help to under, make it a little bit more understandable. Although Savior and Redeemer are indeed different words... They reveal that which we need but could never do on our own. Savior and Redeemer, different words, different names for God, but go together. Both Matthew and Luke's Gospels provide the birth narratives of Jesus. In Matthew, an angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph, and you've already heard me read it. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In Luke's gospel, in the first chapter, the angel spoke with Mary and said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And later in chapter 2 of Luke, the angel appeared to the shepherds and said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus means Savior. Jesus comes from the Old Testament, Joshua, meaning Jehovah Savior. Maybe you've heard this very familiar poem by an unknown poet. 
If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need would have been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and God sent us a Savior, and His name is Jesus. The very purpose of Jesus is understood in His name which was given at His birth. Today, we're looking at God as Savior and Redeemer. The name Jesus comes from the Greek form of the Hebrew named Joshua, which means Jehovah Savior. The name Jesus was more than a name. It's just more than a name. It was a very common name in Jesus' time, but for Jesus, the Son of the living God, it's more than just a name. It is an affirmation of His identity, and it is an expression of His work. His identity is wrapped up in His name, and it is an expression of His work. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and we are brought into a right relationship with God through His finished work on the cross. Savior, and it expresses His work which was finished on the cross. We sing songs like, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. My Savior is Lord and King. He is mighty to save. And amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Yet there are only a few occurrences of Jesus actually being called Savior if you read through the New Testament. We heard it announced at His birth. The Samaritans used it after the woman from Samaria had an encounter with Jesus at the well and went back and told her community what had happened. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We find it in Acts where Peter and Paul spoke of Jesus as Savior, but that's really about it. There is not a whole lot of mention of Jesus in the formal name Savior. Some scholars believe this was the case because the Christians were not going around saying this because Julius Caesar was known as Savior of the world. So they perhaps didn't say the word as much out of fear of persecution by the Romans. And the other reason was that Christ's saving work is just understood. It was something that people just knew, the Christians just knew, so perhaps we don't see it named in the gospel so much because of that. But when we pray to God as our Savior, we are affirming His identity as the Savior of the world, and we are proclaiming the work that He has done on our behalf. Sometimes a person might say they were saved on a certain date. Some of you may have been adults when you came to Christ, and you can remember the exact moment that you stood perhaps in a worship service or in a revival or at a retreat or in some other setting, and you remember to this day when you got up and made that decision, and perhaps you went forward to talk to a pastor or a counselor, and 
you've got that documented. I remember when I was a teenager, I think I've shared with you when I was in 10th grade, and I made that decision. I recorded it in the Bible that they gave me that night, and I went home and I told my family about it. Others of you know no different. You've been in church your entire life, like my daughter's been in church since she was an infant, and you've grown up, and you don't any, know anything else but Jesus. Uh, we refer to that word saved, and whether you've been in church your whole life or came to Christ at a time where you can actually pinpoint that, the word has significant meaning to us. It speaks of his identity and of his work. The word redeemer, though, is packed full of meaning. And we can't understand Savior without understanding Redeemer. When we trust Christ as Savior, we proclaim His work as Redeemer. Many of you watched the Olympics this year, and we've talked about the Olympics over the course of these past several sermons. And if you paid attention, they would often show you the statue of Jesus there in Rio. And the statue's title is Christ the Redeemer. So that word was publicized through the media all over, and people saw this statue. It was constructed in 1931, 98 feet tall, and the hands of the statue are 92 feet across. That's just amazing. One person describes the statue, Christ the Redeemer, as follows. It's more like somebody giving you a big hug. Have you imagined Jesus in that way? When I was a new dad, and I would say to Isabella, Daddy loves you so much. And then when she got old enough to respond, I would say, how much does Daddy love you? And she would stretch out her arm. She says, so much. And it's this image of how much God loves us when He is our Savior and Redeemer. I love you so much. He just wants to give us a big hug. Savior and Redeemer. The word Redeemer means to buy back. There's a cost. There is a cost with redemption. I'm reading this book right now called The Other Slavery by Andres Resendez. And it chronicles the often untold story of the enslavement of thousands and thousands of Indians by the Spanish and other Europeans as they came to the New World. Resendez also addresses the darkness of African slavery and the horrors of the Middle Passage as Africans were taken captive from their homeland and sold into human slavery to further the economic engine of the New World. It is a travesty that human beings were bought and are still bought with a price and sold like animals and kept from their God-given freedom. You might think that, well, Pastor Bob, that's something of the past. And you probably are aware, but it's important to have a refresher that slavery still exists today even more so than it has ever taken place. Human trafficking is the illegal trade of human beings mainly for the purposes of forced labor 
and sex trafficking. It is the world's fastest growing criminal industry. It affects every nation across the globe. Every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of modern day slavery. There are more slaves in the world today than at any point in human history with an estimated 27 million in bondage across the globe. Men, women, and children are being exploited against their will. Organizations like Richmond Justice Initiative and A21, which is headed by Christine King, and Stop the Traffic, as well as our own missionary Cindy Rubel, who serves alongside her husband Ed, Eddie in Malaysia, are out there trying to seek justice and to bring an end to human trafficking. Often someone will go into a very dark place and will have to purchase that young girl and bring her to freedom. That's what redemption means, to buy back, to pay a cost. At the height of African slavery, there were very few ways that people could become free. In limited cases, they could purchase their freedom, but often the price was set so high that they were in bondage for their entire life. Perhaps the only freedom that would come was the freedom at death. Many of you have read of Frederick Douglass, who escaped from slavery and traveled to the north and ended up writing his autobiography. And people advised him that if he published it, that he could be taken back into slavery. And so he went to Europe, and while he was there, some abolitionists purchased his freedom so that when he came back to the United States, he was free indeed. This is what redemption means. There was a cost that was paid, and those people were able to make that purchase. That's what Mark 10 means when the word ransom is used in the English. It's the same word translated as redeemer. It means to buy out from the marketplace. It's the same concept back when abolitionists or even today in human trafficking when someone purchases someone's freedom. When we pray to God as our Savior and Redeemer, we pray to the God who has sent His Son and has prayed the, paid the price for our salvation and forgiveness through the blood of His Son. That's what redemption means. We are saved by the redeeming work of Jesus. This can be understood as being made right with God. It's a way that we are no longer separated from God, as Amanda shared earlier with our children. The theological term for this is atonement, that God sent His Son and stepped into our place and did something on our behalf that we could never do. Because of His finished work on the cross, we are made at one with God. And I love the way Bill Hybels at Willow Creek Church in Chicago explains atonement. He says it is at one meant. At one meant. Through Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross, through His redemption, we are brought at one with God. We are reconciled to God. But it is no use unless we respond to it. People can hear it and preachers can preach it, but it is no use unless people respond, unless you and I respond. Many of you have. Others are still praying through that decision. If you are already a Christian, maybe the following that 
we share today will be a reminder of your salvation, a reminder of how God has worked in your life, a reminder how God has transformed your heart and spirit. It is said that a person is never as close to God as they were on the day that they became a Christian. I don't know about you, but I wish that I could every day claim the enthusiasm and the zeal and the excitement that I had that night when I remember giving my life to the Lord and coming up to that altar call and sharing it with the counselor and telling my mom and stepdad back at home. But along the way, we drift and we need God to continuously bring us back. So we need a reminder. Maybe today will be a reminder. Others today, you're maybe a work in progress and you're praying through this whole understanding of becoming a Christian. I pray that today will strengthen you and encourage you. Still others may not have yet made a first time decision to follow Jesus. And I pray today may be that day. Or that God will plant a seed in your heart and in the days and weeks ahead that you will respond to the message of the gospel and you will experience baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here are a few just very basic steps for us today that will help us. You remember these from Vacation Bible School and you remember as Amanda shared them on the Sunday after. Some basic steps to receive salvation. The first one is admit We just simply have to admit that we're sinners and we need God. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We need forgiveness. We need His salvation. So we've just got to own up to it and say, I need it. I can't continue to live life on my own. I can't continue to try on my own strength to deal with the struggles of this life. I need God. I just got to come clean and admit it. The next step is simply to believe it. I I believe in Jesus Christ with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. I believe Jesus is the Son of the living God. I believe that He has given me the gift of salvation that is free, and all I have to do is receive it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we just admit we need it, and then we believe Jesus is who He says He was and is. And then third, we confess our faith in Christ Jesus. We confess that He is Savior and Lord. Paul writes, if you believe, if you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. So we've got to confess it. Tell somebody. And then fourth, simply demonstrate it in baptism and service. God desires that not only people come to Christ and receive salvation and the promise of eternal life, but that they are baptized, which is an outward symbol of the inward experience of transformation. Sometimes people say, Pastor Bob, I'm a believer. I accepted Jesus Christ, and He's my Savior and Lord, and I desire to live for Him every day, but I don't want to be baptized. I'm, you know, that's, I'm just not comfortable with that or what, you know, the, a lot of different things. And uh, I, I, I equate it to somebody who says, I want to be a, a football player, but I don't want to be on a team. You know, like I, I want the experience, but I'm not ready to join that team. So I pray that if, if you are um, 
considering baptism, maybe you've struggled with it a little bit, that you'll commit it to prayer. And I'd love to talk with you more, or our staff would love to talk with you more about what baptism means. Baptism is simply a symbol of the inward experience. Baptism is not the equivalent of salvation and redemption. It is an outward symbol of the inward transformation. It's like my wedding ring. If, if I were to take my wedding ring off, does that make me any less married to Melanie? No. It's simply a symbol of my covenant and commitment to her in marriage. Baptism is simply a symbol. I'll always remember when I received baptism in the Isle of Palms in the Atlantic Ocean in March of 1983. It was cold. And I came out of the water and I said, praise the Lord. And I'll always remember that. So we demonstrate in baptism and in service what we do through the church. At the end, John's going to share some important ways that you and I can become involved in serving I think it's Rick Warren who said, we're saved to serve. We're saved to serve. We've got to receive it. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. Not long after Melanie and I were first married, we bought our first house, got settled in, and we lived about 50 miles from her folks who lived outside of Columbia, South Carolina. We live in Orangeburg. And Often her folks would stop by, like sometimes her dad, he's with the Lord now, would bring pine straw in his trunk. He'd stuff his trunk with pine straw and then bring it and unload it and put it out in my flower beds. Sometimes he would want to come and work in the yard and trim bushes. He, he loved trimming the trees. Sometimes they would stop by on their way to Melanie's brothers in Charleston with groceries. Even to this day when we go home for the holidays, Melanie's mom sends us back tons of groceries. Well, we were newlyweds, and Melanie had gone to the dentist, and she needed some expensive dental work that wasn't covered by insurance. And so she told her folks, but, you know, not like I'm asking them to pay for it. She just told them, like, you know, you tell your folks stuff. Well, they wanted to pay for it all. And now you're probably like, Bob, you should take the money. But I didn't want to. I was like, no, Melanie, I said, I can't take that. I said, I'm your husband now, and you're my responsibility. I'm supposed to care for you. And it's not right for your parents to have to pay our bills. So I'm not taking the money. Well, you know who won that one, don't you? It was a very difficult lesson for me on receiving grace. Her folks are some of the most generous people I've ever met. And they weren't trying to give us the money because I was not a good husband, which is kind of what my mind was thinking. Her dad doesn't think that I can take care of her, so he's got to pay. They just wanted to give. And I, I didn't get it. Finally, after a while, I got it. And... Her dad wrote a check to pay my car off and to pay my student loan off when we went to seminary. And we were able to go through seminary without those debts hanging over us. It was a hard lesson, but I had learned to receive. What a blessing 
it was. So you and I have heard the message of the gospel. We've heard what it means to admit that we need a Savior. Simply to believe in Jesus. And to confess with all of our heart and soul. And to demonstrate that. But it's no good unless we do something with it. Unless we receive it. Take some steps. So I pray that whatever decision you need to make with God, that that you will follow his leadership. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day of worship. Thank you for the prayers and the songs and the faces of the children as they heard their message. And for your word and for even in August, us to go back to the Christmas story to be reminded of Jesus, our Savior, who has redeemed us, and all we have to do is receive it. God, I pray for each one of us today as we deal with you, and I pray that we will be able to receive freely your grace in whatever area of our life it is needed, whether a first-time decision for Christ whether recommitment of our faith and getting back on track, or whether it's serving in some new way that you would help us to respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.